Good morning, Genesis family. Thank you all for joining us today to live stream. Um, just give you a little heads up. Hans will be preaching a little, <clears throat> a little bit later. Well, I just want to start out with a little word of encouragement and also spend some time in prayer. I know as many of you know, we're kind of going through this battle with coronavirus, a lot of just weird situations going on. Sadly, a lot of people are panicking, buying toilet paper, whatever. School's canceled or... Anyway, it's kind of a scary time. People are... I know some people are just kind of just real fearful, but uh, I just want to encourage you. Um, I remember a time that Yoshi and I, when we were in, um, in Japan, um, there was a... I don't know if you remember, I think it was 2011, there was that earthquake and then the Fukushima plant that, that hit and uh, <clears throat> and this nuclear radiation everywhere. And so it was a time of just fear for us and we didn't know what to expect. And and uh, I remember coming into the house and we were told that but through the news, we had to take off our jacket and shake off some gamma ray particles. You don't want to bring them into the house. But anyway, it was just freaky. And so, and uh, what got us through and just spending time with the word and just spend time with God, just reading His Word and, and through prayer. So some key verses that really just stuck out to me was um, Isaiah chapter 26, verses 3 and 4. It says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. What's amazing here, it says, Those whose mind is stayed on you. That's what's so crucial. That was what stuck on me. It's like <clears throat> oftentimes I would catch myself just meditating on the, on the news. You know, they didn't have Fox News in Japan or whatever, but I had to go online. <laughs> but I was online a lot, just going Facebook posts and stuff. So I was generating all this fear. But, but I realized I had to have my mind stayed on God, focused on Him, meditating on Him, on His Word, and focusing on Him and His attributes. And that just built the strength in me and that it gave me the peace and so it says i will have perfect peace that's what it says and i really i realized that that's true and i love also what it says in philippians 4 6 and 7 another powerful verse it says do not be anxious about anything but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your um, requests be made known to god and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in christ jesus and I like that, that phrase that says, surpasses all understanding. It's like a freakish piece. It's like an amazing piece that, that's like unheard of to anyone else, and even in the midst of chaos, because it's a supernatural, it's God's empowering peace that comes upon you, knowing that He is in control. But it comes through prayer. It comes through just spending time with Him, just being thankful to Him, and just meditating on Him. So we see here, meditating on Him, focusing on Him, having our eyes stayed on Him, Focusing in the Word, spend time in prayer. This is what we need to do. That's what helped us so much during the time of, of chaos in Japan. And so, um, and also when we were in, in, the, in Cambodia during the swine flu epidemic, you know, um, another virus thing was going around. I remember going to a, a local clinic. That's what we were told to do, go to a local clinic and just um, kind of let the doctors check your symptoms and stuff. And so we did that. And this is like out in the countryside. So Yoshiko, Yoshiko and I go, uh, my wife and I go into um, the clinic and we said, hey, um, just so you know, we think we have the symptoms of the swine flu and the doctors and the nurse, all the staff ran out of the room. They said, you need to leave, get out of here. The nurse came out, kind of covering her mouth. You need to leave, get out. And that just freaked us out. 
even more. But anyway, it just brought us back to these verses, focusing on who God is, meditating on Him, just being grounded in Him and His Word, and just fixing our eyes upon Him, the author and perfecter of our faith. And that was the whole thing. And that's what got us through. And that's what's going to get us through this time as well. And we're going to see how glorious and magnificent God is. So I just want to encourage you to do that right now. And we're going to spend some time in prayer. But um, just do that throughout the week. Meditate on, meditate on God throughout the week. But that is our key. We don't have to fear. We don't have to um, react to fear. One thing we need to do is be emboldened and be empowered and show the love of Christ to those around us who have no hope. Just think about that. Imagine not having Christ in your life and going through traumatic experiences with no hope. Um, that should cause fear. But we don't have to fear. We have a great hope. And I want to encourage, I want to encourage you as a church to uh, really love on those around you in, in a, a way that you can. But just let's pray for, for, um, for just to have wisdom from God and creative ideas of how we can serve our neighbors, love our neighbors, deliver food. I saw a post, a Facebook post today, someone in our church, nameless, I'm not going to um, brag on them, um, Carla Brainer. Um, <clears throat> they're already living, delivering food to their neighbor, those who are shut in. They're just helping, seeing how they can be a blessing. But, but um, we just need to be creative like that, how we can serve those around us and just really take the time to give the hope of the gospel, to share the love of Christ to those who have no hope. Let them see how you are coping through this and, and let God be glorified. So now let's spend some time in prayer right now. We're going to spend some time how we can be a blessing to our neighbors. How Also just for just our government and our, for our local officials, just to, to be able to uh, serve us well, to have wisdom as well uh, with the local hospitals and clinics. And People say it might be overrun, I don't know. But let's just pray that God will just move. And we can just be, um, see how God can do amazing things. So let's just, let's just pray right now. Lord, we just look to you, God. Our hope is in you, God. We just really want to focus on you so we do not have to be afraid. We want our eyes to be stayed on you. We do that right now. And I just thank you that you give us the peace that we need. And we can just live for your glory right now. And I just thank you that, that you are awesome. You are mighty. You are powerful, Lord God. I pray that you will be exalted through this time. I pray that through this time, our church can grow in maturity in Christ as we just focus on you, that we will be so, uh, have such joy in Christ through the midst of the trial. We are to be able to count it all joy when we face trials every time, Lord God, because we're, we're focused on you, fixed on you. I just pray you do that in each and every one of us. And I just pray, Lord God, that you will enable us to share the gospel to those around us, Lord God. I pray that your name will be exalted. Lord, through this time, Lord, that your church will grow, that your kingdom will grow, Lord God, through this time and through our church as well. And help us to encourage other Christians not to fear. I pray that your name will be exalted. And also pray for, for the, the local hospitals and clinics. Lord, I just pray that it won't be overrun, but, but you will be, um, you will just give the doctors wisdom, the officials wisdom to know how to staff everything. And I just pray that you will stop this, the spread of this virus. And I just pray that your name we exalt it, Lord. We just give you all praise. And I also just pray for Hans as he's going to come. And I just pray you'll use him in a mighty way to encourage us and, and strengthen us through your word. Lord, we just give you all praise and glory and honor in your holy name. Amen. All right. Well, it is um, a funny time. Uh, I've tried to stay away from language of like, we're going to gather online, even though we've already been Facebook live messaging and whatever else. Uh, because it's a weird phrase. This is not normal, nor should it be. 
I am talking to a phone, and I have Matt Brantner over here, and Matt Akers just went to, I think, get a stool so I could put my coffee down. Uh, so, uh, we are... <laughs> Matt will hold it. No, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, we're in a unique time, aren't we? And what we need to do is, I, I go, well, how long is this going to last? I'm not sure. Uh, what are we trying to accomplish? We are trying to accomplish... Uh, the reduced spread of a virus that has been called a global pandemic. And we are uh, trying at the same time to be faithfully following the Lord during this. And so again, our decisions aren't based on fear. We're not afraid of catching something, um, but on how we can uh, love and serve others. And so that's what we want to do as we consider this. And I would encourage you, as even Matt shared, to... Um, Find ways to love and serve those in your life who have need, or for those in your life, for your neighbors who don't have family around, to see and check in on them, see how they're doing, and how you might be able to serve them. We're in the book of Galatians, and uh, luckily we have a three-verse passage today. Oh, thanks, Matt. Now I see the table's here, and I'm ready. Uh, so Galatians chapter 5 and the plan was, this: we're going to take these three verses this week, and then next week, Matt Akers was going to preach on the fruit of the Spirit. He's going to finish out chapter 5. Uh, and then the following week, we're going to do 6, 1 through 10. And so we'll see how that continues to go. Uh, again, as it is, events of the building are canceled through this week. Um, and as, it, as we monitor it, I mean, it certainly looks like things might get canceled beyond, but I'm not sure, and we'll keep up with you in all of those ways. Uh, but let's just dive in. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13, 14, and 15. It reads like this. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, he says as he touches his face. Uh, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So, I remember learning how to drive. We did, uh, I guess, I, I, I don't know if Texas even still does this, but when I lived here the first time, you could have your parents teach you driver's ed. And so we did parental driver's ed, and my mom would uh, take me out, and she always gave me these rules, and look, look far out into the distance. But you get really nervous when you're driving, and you find, right, you find the vehicle that you're driving kind of going back and forth between the lanes uh, because you're nervous the entire time. You feel like if you overcorrect one way, you're going to fall into the ditch on your left. If you overcorrect in the other way, you're going to fall to the ditch on your right. And as other cars go beside you on either side, you get this kind of anxiety that shows up. Well, uh, I do think in many instances the Christian life is similar to that. We're always afraid of messing up. We're afraid of the ditches on either side. Uh, whereas if we live a certain way, we're going to kind of fall off in one direction. And if we live in another way, we're going to fall off in that direction. And uh, both of those thoughts are wrong. As we look in Galatians 5 today, uh, Paul's going to show us the ditches on either side and how to not fall into either one of them. And the way to do that is love. Now, that seems like an interesting way to go about uh, how to fix the problem of, in your Christian life, not going over on one side or on the other. Uh, but we love to talk about love as a people. We love to talk about how it's all you need. 
Uh, we love to say that love wins. We might say when man loves a woman, he can't keep his mind on nothing else. You know that song. Uh, you can like and subscribe to our Facebook page. Uh, however, love is much more than any of these things. And it's the proper way for us to operate. So as we go through the text this morning, we're really just going to kind of go one verse at a time. Verse 13, verse 14, and verse 15. Because what we're going to have, those two ditches that we talk about, is on one side is what the Judaizers are bringing, which is legalism. They're bringing a way of viewing life in Christ, which isn't really life in Christ at all, as we've already seen. They're bringing a way of viewing life in Christ as if you follow these rules, you'll be good. And so that's driving off the road onto one side. Well, on the other side, and we haven't addressed this yet in the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, is license or the thought that you can just do whatever you want. So ditch over here. This is legalism. This is you got to follow these rules and you have to do it right. On the other side is license. This is you can't, you can do anything that you want and we will find both of those are wrong. So verse 13, the greatest expression of our freedom is love. This is what we read. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, this is an interesting line or an important line because it says the Christian's life is one of freedom. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. We read that in uh, the beginning of this chapter. Now we get to verse 13. You were called to freedom. You're free from the law. You're free from its power. You're free from legalism. You're free from trying to earn God's favor by your actions, by your activity. You're free from all of those things. And then there's this new application. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What happens when we use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh? Well, though we're probably not going right now, one thing that we can think about in this are all-you-can-eat buffets, or all-you-can-eat pancakes, or all-you-can-eat whatever. Is that when we get somewhere and go, I can have all I want, I can have free refills, I can have it all, what we start to realize is that it's probably not the best idea for us. We have a way of taking our freedom and then consuming whatever it is that we want. The flesh does this. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So that's a new word that we have to think about in regard to this passage. So what is the flesh? Well, as we discuss here and later in Galatians, the flesh is the part of us, the part of our lives as believers that is set up against the work of the Spirit. So there's the flesh and the Spirit, and these two things war and battle against one another. It seeks self, self-exaltation, and it, is, uh, it births sin. So we have the flesh over here, and what the flesh can do is it can take our freedom and make it all about us. So what happens? Well, the flesh takes your freedom of Christ and makes it an all-you-can-eat buffet. God only cares about you. He's only interested in you. He's only interested in you being just happy about yourself, not other people. You don't need to be concerned, nothing like that. So life becomes then a competition to see who can live more freely. How grievously can you sin and still be forgiven? It's one of those things where we start to premeditate our sin and we go, oh, you know what I can do? I can sin right now. That would be fine. And I know God has forgiven me. You're free. So you indulge and you enjoy 
and you live life however you want. But we also know, a part of us knows, this isn't how Jesus wants us to live. It's not how the Christian life is supposed to go, and it's really, ultimately, not satisfying. So, you are called to freedom, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Then the contrast is, but in love, serve one another. Interesting that that is what Paul uses as the remedy for the flesh. In love, serve one another. See, a key mark of a disciple is not strong leadership. It's not authoritative teaching. It's not commanding a room. It's not being attractive. It's not being an extrovert or an Enneagram 8. Honestly, don't even know what that is. But for the eights in the room, you can just cheer right now and talk about how happy you are. Rather, serving one another in love is the truest expression of walking with Jesus. Sometimes we think that that's simple or easy. But the concept being simple doesn't mean that it's actually easy to do. Loving service is a mark of our discipleship. Loving service asks others, what do you need? When your sister Karen calls you at 11 p.m. and you have been asleep for a while, but she needs to talk, you listen. When your coworker Steve has a car in the shop and a wife in the hospital and needs a ride to the grocery store, you give him a ride and you buy his groceries. When your community group leader can't host group, you say, I'll take it on. When there's need that exists within your faith family, you find ways to address it. You don't go, good luck, buddy, that's your problem. You do what you can to love and to serve others. There will always be opportunities, though, to take a situation that is in the flesh and make it about you. So I had a mentor one time, and he would say this, you know you're operating in the flesh if you want to look good and be right. You want to look good and be right. Meaning, uh, when you're trying to make life about you, and you're trying to self-congratulate uh, yourself, when you're trying to justify your behaviors, when you're trying to make you look better than another person, odds are you're operating in the flesh. So rather than do that, we love and serve one another. But this is a scary place to be. We want guardrails on that life in Christ. We want to feel as if life is really worth living uh, with those guardrails and with those protections. And so, why is the expression of love so difficult? Why is it so difficult? Well, freedom is a scary thing. It's a, it's a thing that causes us concern. It causes us worry. It makes us think, oh gosh, if, if I let them know they're free, then they might not, or then this might happen, or this might be this type of problem. So we think we're doing God favors with law. We're going to, you know, God's doing his thing, but we're just going to help him by adding law to what we do. Just a few here and there, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't go with girls who do. You have to live a certain way, be nice, smile, wear a collared shirt. That's all we're asking. Oh, be sure also that you give a certain percentage of your gross, not your net. Um, and that that percentage should ever be increasing. Be sure that when the church calls upon you, you are uh, always ready to 
respond to the need. Be sure that your kids are dressed a certain way, in school a certain way, and living a certain way, and operating a certain way. Be sure that you only watch these movies and not those movies. You watch these TV shows and not those TV shows. And then all of a sudden you realize, what are you doing? You're trying to create a way to control people because the idea of trusting the Spirit in them to guide and to direct them is daunting. We live then in a world of overcorrection. It always feels like the pendulum's going back and forth one way to the next. And that overcorrection is what Paul is trying to address. Don't drive over the road towards legalism. Don't drive over the road towards license. Stay in love and serve one another. He gives a reason in verse 14. So he gives the command, through love, serve one another. He gives a reason in verse 14 that the idea is that love is being the greatest example of our freedom. He says, why? Because for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now this is going to be interesting, so I need you to put your Bible brains on for a second. All of you there in your living rooms, everyone who's watching, if your kids are running around, you can let them still run around. But this part of the uh, passage is interesting because it's going to feel like it counteracts a lot of what we've already seen in Galatians to this point. And here it is. First, Paul is quoting Leviticus 19.18 to get to this point. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, Leviticus is an important book in the Old Testament. It's an important book for us to know as it highlights God's holiness. It's a book of rituals, celebrations, sacrifices, and how the nation's supposed to operate. So why does Paul use a quote from the law to explain how they're supposed to live today being freed from the law. Do you follow that? Okay, let's think about it again. The whole book of Galatians to this point is saying this. You don't need the law to have God's favor. You have it through Jesus Christ. So time and time again, that is what Paul has brought. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Here we are in chapter 5. He said the same thing, but now he's talking about how we are to fulfill the law in doing this. So he quotes the law to talk about how we fulfill the law, though the whole letter has been talking about not doing the law. So you kind of go, well, is Paul speaking out of both sides of his mouth? Is he, is, he, is he saying this and he's saying that? It sounds like he's trying to be a little conflicting, and I don't think that's the case. The idea of fulfilling the law is different than the idea of doing the law. So fulfilling the law is one, doing the law for God's favor is another. Now, we have to think about this argument and track it back a little bit. So we have to even go back to sermons that we heard last year when we were going through kind of the whole of the scriptures. And here's what we're going to have to think about. Remember this, no one has been able to obey the whole law. You got that? It just incites our sin and rebellion. So that's idea number one. Idea number two, Jesus perfectly obeys the law. Okay, so no one can fulfill it. Jesus does because he's both God and man. Idea number three, because of Jesus' perfect life through faith in him, his fulfillment becomes our fulfillment because he has done it. It's applied to us, transferred to us. So we are seen as right or righteous before God. But you also have to think about the new covenant promise. For example, one of our memory verses from last year was Ezekiel 30, uh, 36, 26, and 27. I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. I'll remove your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. 
I will place my spirit within you, and listen to this, and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You hear what's happening? Is that through the spirit, God puts his law on our hearts, and then we are able to obey. We're able to follow in the appropriate way, express it in the way that God would have us to do. That's really important because it means that our ability to even fulfill the law is a work of God, not a work of us. That it happens through the Spirit. And what was seen as the blessing of Abraham that's extended to all nations, but the promised Spirit through faith. So Christians today, whether they are Jewish believers or they are Gentile believers, through the Holy Spirit, applied to them, are able to fulfill the law. This is the same idea that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 13. Owe no one anything except the love of one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled, there's the word again, fulfilled law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And if you didn't believe Paul, listen to Jesus You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we have that first idea in verse 13. That the true way to express our life in Christ is to love and to serve others. We have the reason in verse 14, which is the whole law is fulfilled in loving one another, that through that we are actually expressing the desired intent, which is to express the heart of God to this world. Okay, Then we get to verse 15, and we get to see the contrast of what seems to be going on in Galatia, which is the selfishness or fleshly impulses of the Galatian church, which then destroys the Galatian church. So in verse 15, we get the contrasting idea. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I need you to say it with me in your living rooms. Consumed by one another. Or, yeah. And what we see here is that selfishness, I'm going to use that in place of the idea of flesh, but selfishness destroys a church. Why would Paul be writing these words at this time? Why this statement? Remember, we've kind of seen two groups of people in the Galatian church. There are the Galatian converts, those who were there when the church was planted. There are the Judaizers, who are this group of people who came in, infiltrated, and tried to express that you need to obey the law in order to have God love you. You need to follow certain rules. So we have these two groups, and yet now he's talking to them going, but if you, Galatians, bite and devour one another, you're going to destroy each other. Now, the exact reason he brings it up at this point is not 100% clear, but you have to think about a few things. That there are some in the Galatian church who might have been sympathetic to these Judaizer teachers. They might be going, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I get that. You ever had a friend with a bad idea? Uh, They go, "This, this is great. Others thought the teaching was wrong and they wanted to emphasize grace or freedom. And rather than actually address the source of what was going on, Right? Think about even James. We'll get to James after Easter. What, what is the source of uh, quarreling and fighting among you? It comes from you. You are the source. 
So rather than exactly address the source, what's going on in their hearts, and the false teachers are bringing this in, they start to attack one another. Their attitudes in the church are selfish, shown as biting and devouring, like wild animals who have killed their prey and are satisfying only themselves. The only problem here in Galatians is that both the hunter and the hunted are the same congregation. They're hurting one another. You can see this happen in churches in multiple ways, so bear with me here. You find yourself, scenario number one, you find yourself convinced of how godly you are in your Christian life. You have removed all the necessary TV shows. You have filtered out all inappropriate content on your computer. You only listen to worship music. You smile all the time. And you leave tracks, gospel tracks, wherever you go. Looking at yourself in the mirror, you think, man, God really loves that guy. God really loves that girl. Like he, I'm, I am making him so happy right now. Then you look at your brother or sister who might not do those things or might not agree with you, and you go, I'm so sorry you haven't arrived to what I've arrived to. You can feel the selfishness there. You're not like me. You're not like me. Or perhaps you've taken your freedom the opposite way. You're far less restrictive. Your Spotify playlist is filtered for nothing. You just hope I don't walk by as you're listening to it. Your house is stocked with every alcoholic beverage, and you just bought the Game of Thrones box set. Whenever you're challenged to consider operating differently, you go, Hey, man, I'm free. Back off. Well, you can see how, how the law-abiding, judgmental person is no better than the one that's trying to express their freedom and not be concerned for the one in their midst. This is why that first idea back in verse 13 is so important for us. Through love, serve one another. Because love doesn't ask the question, what's best for me? It asks the question, what's best for you? What's best for you? What do you need? What are you concerned about? How are you hurting? What do you need prayer for? How can we help you? How can I care for you? How can I love you? And this is what is so often lacking in our churches. A lack of consideration for the other. Now, I just have to brag on Genesis for a second. And if you're watching this and you're not a part of Genesis, I'm sorry. Uh, because they're a great church. And uh, even Matt Brantner and I, we were together yesterday trying to plan out how today would go. Uh, and I thought to myself, we're not going to get people mad. They're not going to be bothered by the decisions. Like They're going to be trusting and loving and considerate. They're probably checking in on their neighbors already. They're probably already wondering how their group's doing. They're probably concerned about those in their lives. They, uh, are, they're really in it, and they're committed to the work of God. And so I don't say this to any one person to go, well, you over there watching at home, you're the problem. But to say, if we can remain in that difficult line of love, God can do amazing things. But it's hard because we want to be restrictive. And when we want to be restrictive, we totally miss out on what God can do through us. And at the same time, when we're fully on the other side, and we just go towards you're free to do whatever you want, we also have a tendency to be frustrated. Why? Because the flesh operates in both of those places. If you're really good at following rules, your flesh is going to operate in the rule-following world because that's where you can honor Jesus. And if you're really good at living freely, then your flesh is going to take that and make it all about you. 
You're going to go, I don't ever need to come to church. No big deal. I'm free. Where you go, I got to be there every day. Because if not, Hans is going to see and he's going to email me and I'm going to be mad about that. So you don't have to ask yourself in any situation, well, what do I do here? You need to ask yourself in any situation, what is loving here? And what's great is, after we go through the fruit of the Spirit, uh, likely next week, we're going to see in chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, incredibly specific ways that our love should demonstrate itself. So Paul won't leave us hanging. He's going to say, here's a way, here's a way, here's a way. The expectations of a loving life are shown and given as we continue on in this letter. But the first question you can always ask is, what is loving? What is loving here? Now love is a hard line to walk, but it's what we're called to. Because it's what Jesus did, and it's what he showed us. Now, I want to take a minute and talk about just churches. If you're watching and you're not a part of a church, then you might even get this too. But just imagine yourself thinking about the perfect church gathering. And what do you have in mind? Do you run to structure? Do you run to feel? Do you run to some type of look? Some type of vibe? Some type of temperature in the room? Whatever it might be. Uh, what do you really envision? You look at the Galatian church and you don't go, perfect. You look at the Corinthian church and you don't go perfect. You look at any church and you don't go perfect. The only thing perfect about any church is Jesus. But what he has given us is a way to operate that he expects us to ascend to, that he expects us to live like, and that is the way of love. He's freed us from sin and he's given us one another. But our flesh will still try and influence these relationships by opposing on one side, or imposing on one side, legalism, and on the other side, license. Both lack what is demanded of us, which is to love one another. I want to pray this be true for us as a church. Heavenly Father, we need you in this time to be a loving church, and we need your guidance, even as we are at home, wondering how we can better serve and care for our neighbors, how we can better uh, be kind and generous and loving, teach us and make it real in us. I pray for everybody in their homes, God, that you might bless those homes, those people, that you might keep their bodies, their kids, their families healthy, that you might give us wisdom and opportunities to love and to serve others during this week and the weeks to come. And we pray it in Christ's name.